Father, we praise you. We praise you because all blessings flow from you. Anything good in any way in our lives that we can see as good, it is a gift from you. Father, anything good in our lives that we don't see as good, but you allow and promise to work good from it, it's gifts from you. So we praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. Jesus Christ, for chasing us down, for your willingness to come for us, your desire to pursue us in your love and redeem us to yourself, to buy us back to freedom, the freedom that we were always created for. We praise you, Jesus, and we praise you, Holy Spirit, we praise you, Comforter, counselor, we praise you for providing wisdom to us. We praise you for indwelling us. And as you abide in us, so we abide in you. God, we lift all praise and glory to you. Thank you for the opportunity to lift our voices in song and worship of you. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and worship you as we do so. Spirit, I thank you that you are already here, moving among us. We love you. And we submit to all that you desire to do in us today. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Grace, you may have a seat. It's a joy to be with you today as we continue in Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 24. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn there. Um, some of the words will be up on the screen and I'll be reading some of it to you as well. Last week, Pastor Mark was... Uh, taught through uh, Genesis chapter 23, and that was where Sarah, uh, we saw the death of Sarah and Abraham mourning her and buying a field where uh, he might bury her, and we also skipped ahead a little bit to Genesis 25 and the death of Abraham, and this falls right in the middle, and just like a, 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 the, the death of one generation and Another generation picks up. There's a passing of the torch that happens in that, and that kind of happened last week. That also happens this week as we see a passing of the torch from one generation to the next. And so uh, this morning we look at Abraham as he sends a servant off to get a wife for Isaac. 
And there's just a beautiful flow to this story. Pastor Mark and uh, Pastor Jeff and I were, they were helping me prepare this message this week and we just noted there, there's an incredible flow to this story because you see something that we haven't seen all the time in the life of Abraham. Abraham at times, you saw him deceive others and lie and self-protect and he and Sarah tried to grab the promised child for themselves in a different way, a way that God didn't intend. And here we just see Abraham submitting to the will of God and just walking in partnership with the will of God. And there's a way that this chapter, like this whole story just flows. And it just works. It just works in a way that like the the rest of life is supposed to be when we partner with God and his will. And so I I just hope we see uh, the beauty today of that and learn from that because I don't know about you, I'm going to partner with God because I know he writes a better story than I ever could. Like, that's what we've seen all the way along is that this is God's story, not ours. So let's let him write it. (laughs) Let him have the pen. Let him take care of what he wants. Let him do whatever he wants to on this page. And let's walk in submission to what he's doing. So, So let me just pray one more time. Jesus, as we open this word of yours this morning, we thank you for leading us here today. It's evidence of your grace on our lives very fact that we're in these seats, in this place today, to receive of your word is an act of your grace. So, God, we just receive this gift from you. And God, we just ask that you would help us not to waste this gift, not to bury this gift in the ground, but to let it bear fruit in our lives and come back to you with all the interest and all the growth and all the more that you long to do in our lives as we learn from you. Have your way in us. Amen. So Genesis chapter 24. And my hope today is we'll, we'll see some people walking along in partnership with God's will. And we won't get a formula for how to do it, but we'll get, just, just learn some principles and just a way to walk in submission to him. So Genesis chapter 24, I'm going to start by reading the first nine verses. It says this, Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant of his household, the one in charge of all he had. So we've heard about a senior servant of Abraham's before. Back in Genesis 15, before he had Isaac, Abraham prayed to God and said, who's supposed to inherit everything? You promised a son, is it Eliezer, my, my chief servant? Is that who it is? So, so when Abraham prays this, maybe that's who he's talking about, is Eliezer. But this is also 50 years after that, so it could be a new chief servant. Either way, he pulls this senior servant of his household, the one in charge of all that he had, and he says this to him, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? And Abraham responds, he says, Make sure that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, 
He, this is what that God's going to do. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So the first thing we've got to talk about is this hand under the thigh thing. <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, it is weird. This, so this is obviously uh, some traditional way in that culture, in that context, that they would swear an oath to each other. And we don't know exactly what this looked like. You ready to get more uncomfortable? There are some commentators, I'll start with a really uncomfortable one first. There are some commentators who think that this actually means that you were to put the, your hand in the area of uh, circumcision, <laughs> That was the sign of the covenant. And so maybe this is an invitation to put the hand there and to swear by the covenant that God made with Abraham. Or this is an invitation to put the hand actually under the thigh, which might have been the thigh was the strongest muscle in the body. So in a way, it's inviting the servant to put a hand under the thigh and swear by the strongest part of his master that you will move in the strength of your master and swear on this oath and will do what I say. We like that one better. Yeah, me too. Either way, I'm just glad this has changed, right? Like, this, I was thinking this would make courtrooms really uncomfortable, right? <laughs> you called up to the witness stand. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Can I go wash my hands? So I'm just glad it's changed. But I want to <laughs> point us back. So now that we got through that, I want to point us back to the first verse. It says this, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. <laughs> and we could skip right by, past this verse to get to the action, get what happens. And let me, let me give you one piece of advice, how to read your Bible. You want to know how to read your Bible? Here's one way to read it. Read it slow. Man, we skip right past some good stuff. Because we want to get to the action, want to learn an application, move on with our lives. Listen to me. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Anybody want that on their tombstone? <laughs> Anybody want that as a summary of their life? We don't know how old Abraham was at this point. Probably much older than he was the last time we saw him. Probably some years have passed since he's buried Sarah. He's now very very old. And we look back on Abraham's life and we see the good and the bad, right? We've seen the, the, the faith of Abraham and we've seen his dysfunction. We've seen the lies. We've seen him follow God in some beautiful ways and really screw things up. And if we were to sum up Abraham's life by this point, well, it's a mix, right? It's a mixed bag. And the author says it's not a mixed bag. The Lord blessed him in every way. And here's the other thing. This is, this is not just a summary of Abraham's life to this point. This line, is, this, this is in, in Hebrew literature, they, they would use a line like this to transition to the next episode they're going to share, the next story. And so this is a prologue to everything we're going to read from here on out. The prologue to this whole chapter is this. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. See, the prologue could read something different. Abraham was really old by this point, and yes, the promised child had been delivered. Isaac is here. Praise God. 
The covenant's going to stand firm, right? Abraham's going to have lots of descendants. Except Abraham's about to die and Isaac is still single. He's still single. And they're living in a land surrounded by Canaanites. People who don't trust this one God that Abraham is in covenant with. So Isaac's single and the prospects don't look good. And so the context for this whole story could be, hey guys, listen, the covenant is in danger. It still hangs by a thread. There are a thousand ways this could still go wrong. And that God's promises could not come through. But the context of all of this isn't how insecure the covenant is. Isn't that it still hangs uh, uh, by a thread Isn't that there's a ton of ways this could still go wrong? The context for this is this. The Lord God has blessed him in every way. And if he's done that, he's going to come through now. So I don't know where you've been at in your week or in the season of your life, what trials you've been facing, what trouble, what things have not gone the way you've expected. I don't know what you would show up today and say is the context of your life. Well, listen, if I were to tell you the context of my life, man, you should look at how messed up it is. This is not what I would have chosen. Can't we say that sometimes in our life? Man, this is not what I would have expected. This is not what I would have chosen. I was talking to some people recently to, and kind of talking about yourself and you sum up your life in different ways. And I was like, man, I've, my life is just this winding road. <laughs> just ends up places I wouldn't have expected. Let's throw all that to the side for a minute. Let me tell you the context of your life, whether you recognize it or not. Our Lord God has blessed you and me in every way. And so that's the context for today. For every hour, for every minute, whether you see it or you don't, whether things look so hard that you're like, there is no way this is a blessing. Believe it or not, there is someday you will look back on this and it is a blessing. I don't know how his ways are a mystery, but it's true. So this is the context. This is the context. And then we go on. And Abraham, I love this. He, he goes on and, and, and he, he has some plans. He, he does, just doesn't just wait for the the promises of God to come true. He says, God has a will for me. I'm going to move based on what I know. So sometimes even when it's scary, we've got to move based on what we know. And what does Abraham know? Here's what he says. He says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said this, the Lord, the God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. Abraham knows this. He is in a covenant relationship with the living God. And this God has called him out from everybody else he could have called out. God has called him out to be separate. And so because he knows that, he says, I am not going to take a wife. Make sure Isaac does not get a wife from around here because we are in covenant with the living God, and everybody else around here is not. And so God has called us to be a separate people, and since God has called us to be a separate people, this is what I know, so I'm going to act based on this. And here's the other thing he knows, that he has been called to to this land. 
This is the promise of God that this is going to be your land. And so whatever you do, he says it again and again, do not take my son back there. I don't want him to be tempted to be in a place that God didn't call him to be. Because God's will, God's way, he's made it clear that we are supposed to be here. And I'm not going to allow my son to be tempted to be somewhere else that God did not call us to. So do not take him back there. Do you know we are called to be a separate people? We are called to be a people who are separated. We are called to be a people of the way. We were talking about this, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Mark and I, and, and Pastor Jeff said, we're called to be a people of the way, not of the world. And you see what Abraham is doing here is he is making plans. He's making plans based on the priorities of God and based on the promises of God. And, and, and we've got to face the question, do, do we do the same? Are we making plans based on that? Because I tell you, what, the, the easier way to make plans is to make plans based on the priorities of the world and the, and the promises of the world because the world promises us stuff, amen? The world promises us things. The ways of the world, they promise us comfort and ease. They promise us that we'll get our way. They promise us success and wealth. They promise us control promise us that we'll get affirmation for who we are and what we've done if we perform well. All these things are the, the ways the world, and it's so easy to fall into this trap of, uh, of just do it and have it your way in the ways of the world because the promise is that if we follow in this way, you're going to get what you want. And we see people all around doing that, and so we, we tend to follow the ways of the world. And yet we are called to be a people of other ways. I, I, I could point you to, I mean, we know we're called to be a people who separate ourselves from sin. And so there's these things that we label as sin. Drugs and alcohol and addictions and, yeah, that's right. It's easy to separate ourselves from that, from these actions that we're supposed to be, do. But it, it, it's more than that. We are to be a separate people. Living in a separate way. There's so many ways, places I could point this out to you in Scripture. I'm just going to go to one. Um, and it's 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul says. He says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Isn't that what the world tells us to be? Be a lover of yourself. <laughs> Lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sound like the ways of the world, anybody? having the appearance of godliness. Listen, like some of this can feel so right and look so right, and we can even slap Christian labels on it. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Where's the power of godliness? It's not when I'm strong. It's not when I'm awesome. It's not when I'm something. It's when I'm nothing. It's when I am weak that his power is made perfect. The world won't tell you that. And it says, avoid such people. It doesn't mean you don't interact with them. 
doesn't mean you separate yourself completely from them so that you can't be a model, an example of the way that God is calling us to. It doesn't mean that, but it means avoid them in such a way that you are not walking in their way. Are we a people of the way? Are we making plans according to the promises and priorities of God? Or are we making plans according to the promises and priorities of the world? So here's your question at this stage in your life. You have plans ahead of you. Whose priorities are driving those plans? Whose promises are you relying on? The easy fix, the quick fix, the sure way of the world, or the risky faith way of relying on God? Do you know what God's promises for us are? Again, I'll just go to one, but like... This is, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to go here. This is Romans chapter 8. We, we quote this all the time. Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There's a promise of God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we hold on to that as followers of Jesus Christ, right? All things, whether I see it right now or not, are going to work together for my good. That's the promise of God. And you know, I, I read something recently that blew my mind on this verse, though. We quote that all the time. Do you know what that good looks like? Because, it, I mean, it's really easy to say all things work together for good and just slap that Band-Aid over everything. All things work together for good. Yeah, but what you define as good and what I define as good might be different. And what we define as good and what God defines as good might be really different. So if all things work together for good, what's the good? At the end of the day, what's the good that all things work together for? You want to know what it is? It's in the next verse. It says this, we know all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know what all things in your life, whatever you think they look like, good, bad, do you know what good they're going to work to? Ultimately this, you are going to look like Jesus Christ. There's a lot of days I don't even, don't even think that's possible. All things will work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Son of the living God, daughter of the living God, if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the good intention at the end of the day. There's a whole lot of good in between now and then, but at the end of the day, the good that he has planned for you is that you will Trusting God fully, walking in his ways, abiding in the strength and power of the Father and not our own, knowing deeply that you are loved so that no matter what anybody else says about you, nobody can take that identity from you. And you won't get there perfectly in this life, but one day, man, on the other side, I can't wait are you making plans based on the promises of God? Not the promise that your life is going to look easy and comfortable and risk-free. 
but that his good is that you are going to look like Jesus Christ. Jesus, help us make plans that would align our days with this, that we would be in partnership with you, God, as you make our lives look more like Jesus Christ. And so Abraham here, we see him in a way more freely, I think, than ever before, releasing, making plans to say, God has said this. This is our land. So I'm going to make sure Isaac can't mess it up and get tempted to go back to where a, a land he's not supposed to be in. And God also said this, that we are to be a separate people in covenant relationship with him. So I know for sure, servant, I know this for sure. Here's what I know. God's going to send his angel before. This is such a guarantee. He's going to send his angel before you and pave the way. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. And so the servant with these words does the hand under the thigh thing and then moves on. And he packs 10 camels and he heads out and the camels are loaded with lots of good things. And then the next we see the servant, he ends up at a well where all the women of the town. So he's taken, we don't see it in this verse, but he's taken about a two-month journey based on the instructions of his master. And he ends up at this well and this is the first time, but not the last time, that we'll see... Uh, somebody show up at a well to find a wife. It was like the tinder of that day, I guess, and you just show up and like, this is where all the eligible ladies come. And he's going to show up here and expect to find that wife for Isaac. And I love this servant. He shows up at the well, and you know what he does first? He prays. <laughs> he prays. He says, then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And this is just so everyday and ordinary. Like every single day, the women come out to the well. And the servant in the midst of this says, here's what I need. And right in the midst of this everyday scene, the servant cries out to God and says, God, I need your help right now. And, and what you've got to remember is this servant is young in the faith. What does he call God? He says, Lord God of my master Abraham. He doesn't even say my God. He just says, God of my master Abraham. He, the only way he knows this God is through his master. I don't know a whole lot about who you are, God. I just know you've been kind to my master, and I need help right now. So I'm going to call on you. I wonder how many prayers get unprayed by us because we think God's distant or far off or just doesn't care about this particular everyday moment. Because we're just at the well, and there's just women coming out to the well, and this just happens every day, and God has bigger stuff to worry about. And I love that the servant doesn't pass any of that off. He just says, God, I need you to step in. The only way, I can't do this. The only way this is going to happen. There's all these women coming. I can't choose the right one for my master's son. There's too many women. I don't know which is the right option. I need you to show up here. I, I think we'd be a lot better off if we realized how many actual little everyday moments we desperately need God to show up for in our lives. How many prayers go unprayed because we just think, oh, it's simple every day. I can handle this decision. No, we can't. 
Not with the priorities of God in mind. Not with the promises of God close to our hearts. We need him every moment. What prayers of yours are going unprayed in this day? If I get to the end of the day and I've only prayed two or three times, I bet. (laughs) That's when I can tell a lot of my prayers went unprayed. I desperately needed Jesus more than two or three times in my day. I love that the servant, too, like he doesn't have to, like the religion in that day was, right, go make a sacrifice, go work your way to get God to pay attention to you, whatever God you want to go for, and dance to this certain tune, and work really hard, and maybe, just maybe, that God will have an ear out for you. Maybe, just maybe, that God might listen to you, and maybe he'll actually do what you want. And the servant doesn't come with any of that. Somehow, the servant doesn't know God very much, but he knows he, he comes, he doesn't have to do a dance first. He doesn't have to sacrifice. He doesn't have to work really hard. He just comes to God in the name of his master. That's it. Like, God, I don't, I don't know you, but, but here's the thing. I know you've been there for my master, and so I come, Lord God of my master Abraham. I know you've been there for him. I know you showed up for him, so I'm coming in his name. So we toss out this phrase when we pray, in the name of Jesus, right? Like, like a catchphrase, like some rote description, like some sign-off to our email prayer to God. Listen, like, like, could we understand it like this servant understood this? In his prayer, I don't have to do a dance. God, I don't have to beg to get your attention. I don't have to plead. I don't have to clean myself up. I just come to you, God, in the name of my master, Jesus Christ, because he finished everything on my behalf. It's all done. I don't have to earn my way. I just turn to you, and immediately you're there. In the name of Jesus Christ, may we pray, knowing he hears, knowing his attention is already on us, knowing he desperately, deeply, passionately loves us and wants our good. In the name of Jesus Christ. Here's the... uh, Here's the thing about what the servant asks for, though, is it seems kind of ordinary, right? Like, okay, God, I want you to show me the woman that is for my master's son, and here's how I want you to do it. When I ask her for a drink, because she's already getting water out of the well. When I ask her for a drink from the well, help her just say, you want me to water your camels too? Like, that's how I have always read that. And it felt kind of like walking into McDonald's and saying, like some single guy saying, Lord, I just pray that if that beautiful woman behind the counter says, do you want fries with that? (laughs) That she would be the one for me. And that's how I will know. I may or may not have, no, I never did that in my single life. I probably did similar insane prayers (laughs) to try to figure out who was for me. God knew better and he... He kind of led, led in ways that were a lot less clear, but a whole lot better. But it's not like that. See, I, when I was looking at this passage this time, I, I came to understand that's not what the servant's asking. It's not some simple request. The servant had t- how many camels? Anybody remember? Ten. He had ten camels. Uh, a camel, 
on a journey through the desert gets thirsty. A thirsty camel can, one camel, one thirsty camel can drink somewhere between 25 gallons and 40 gallons of water. One camel. So let's go on the low end of that, 25 gallons of water for one camel. And there's 10 camels. It's like 250 gallons of water. The average ancient jar of water that the women would carry to the well was about three gallons, usually no more than three gallons of water. That means he was asking for a woman who would be willing to draw from the well 80 to 100 times at least. This isn't like just do you want fries with that. This is the next hour and a half she's drawing from the well. Like, yeah, supersize, right? <laughs> Somebody said it. And a whole lot more than that. See, what I, what I think the, the, the servant is asking is the servant, Lord, prove to me that this is a woman of good character who would go above and beyond like any woman there would, would operate by the laws of hospitality and give a servant a drink, but not every woman there would be of this high caliber, this high quality, this hospitable, this extraordinary to be willing to water 10 camels without even being asked. That's the extraordinary woman that you have planned for my master's son. So, so show me that. And it happens. Like it works. Rebecca shows up and she actually offers to work for the next however many hours to water all 10 camels. It said she was beautiful when she got there. I don't know how she looked when she was done. Sweaty and a mess, hair all over the place, whatever. But she was willing to do that, to go above and beyond. What an extraordinary woman. Here's the thing I want to note before we move on, though. Like, what we're to understand here is how good God is. This is not a formula for how to understand God's will. And here's what I mean by that. Like, the servant sets up these conditions for God. Like, here's how I want to know. Right? And, it, and in some ways, it's, it's just like walking into McDonald's. Like, Lord, may I encounter this person today, and may they say exactly this thing or not this thing. And that can sound really tempting to us. Like, wouldn't God's will be clear if we could figure it out that way? And we see that in other places in the Bible. Gideon does that. He lays out, if you remember the story, he wants to know, like, God, are you really with me? And he lays out a fleece, and he says, God, in the morning, may the fleece be wet with dew, but the ground dry. And it happens. And then just to be really sure, he does the same thing the next night, but he asks God to reverse it. Like, may the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And God does it. And it can be tempting for us to say, like, let's go do the same thing, right? And, and, and that's not the lesson from these passages. We've got to be careful. I don't think that's the lesson from these passages. Because both of these people, this servant, he's really immature in the faith right here. He doesn't know God very well. He does a lot of good things in this passage. He, he shows incredible faith in God in this passage. But he's still young in his faith. And by the way, Gideon isn't exactly the best role model either. He comes from a family of idolaters. And later in his life, after all the victories on God's behalf, he leads other people into idolatry. So, so let's not follow, make this a pattern or a formula to say, God, may you twist circumstances exactly this way so I know exactly what you want. That's not the way it works. That's walking by sight and not by faith. That's not the kind of life we're called to, folks. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. 
And asking God to show up and check a box in that way, it's kind of like if I sent a note to my wife when I met her and said, do you like me? Check one. If not, check two. Like I was in grade school or something, right? We've, we've got to move beyond that in our marriage relationship at some point, right, folks? Like dating and marriage, like we've got to, we grow up. This is relationship. It's complex. It's not just check a box. God is inviting us to grow up in him and to trust him more. And we trust him not by asking him to control circumstances exactly the way we want. We trust him by praying to him and releasing and say, asking God open-endedly, God, what are you doing in these moments? So the fact that God meets some people in these moments, don't take it as a formula to ask God to bend to our ways and our wills. It's to show the graciousness of God, not how we get to control him. Because we don't. All right, moving on. He... Uh, Oh, so, uh, so the camel's finished drinking, right? It happens. Like what, what the servant asked happens. And this goes on, and the camel's all finished drinking. And the servant puts rings and jewelry on Rebecca, which she would have known right away was like a, a, a down payment on a dowry for marriage. And then he asks her, uh, who's, who's your dad? What family are you from? Do you have a place for me to stay tonight? And she says yes to both things. And then he rushes off with, no, he doesn't. He doesn't rush off with her right away. You know what he does? He stops. The man bowed in the middle of the street at the well in the dust. He bows down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. God, like I prayed to you to be good and kind to my master like you've been in the past and you showed up today and did it. Praise you, Lord. And as for me, oh, <laughs> you see, you hear the growth in the master already, like in the servant already, like maybe this God's for me too. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Suddenly, the faith of somebody, man, my faith is growing. Suddenly, I'm, I don't need to follow God based on somebody else's faith and how God has showed up in their lives. I see him showing up in my life. And the servant starts to grow in his relationship with God. And I love that as young as he might be in the faith, he just stops. Doesn't matter who's around, doesn't matter what's going on. He just stops and falls flat on the ground and prays. And I said a few minutes ago, I wonder how many prayers go unprayed for us. Right? Because we feel like maybe God doesn't care about this everyday little moment of life. I wonder how many of moments of worship go unworshipped in our lives because we forget to see how God has come through in the little everyday ways of our lives. I was really convicted when I thought about this. When I saw the servant do this, I, I thought about how many times we go on trips, we go on family trips, and you know the first thing we do before we put on music in the car, before we do anything else, my wife or the kids or me once in a while will say, okay, guys, let's, let's just take a minute. Before we get annoyed that we're excited for the trip, we're excited for where we're going, let's just pray. Let's ask God for safety on the road and to go before us in conversations we have and whatever we're going to pray for the day. And how many of us pray little prayers like that? Traveling mercies, right? God, have traveling mercies over us, whatever traveling mercies look like. And put a hedge of protection, whatever that is, around us. And protect us on our way. And those are good prayers to pray. I'm not, I'm not saying don't pray those prayers. He cares about those everyday moments. But do you know what? As I read this, I realized I don't remember one trip where we got to where we're going and I stopped. And I said, God, thank you for answering the prayer. 
You kept us safe on the road. It was a little simple thing. You do that for millions of people every day. But for today, you did it for us again. We worship you, God. Like you've come through in these little ways. So with the prayers that go unprayed, start praying those prayers that go unprayed. But start worshiping in those moments you wouldn't normally worship in. You want your faith built in God? You want to know God is active in your life right here, right now, today? Start finding those moments of worship. Oh God, you showed up again. You showed up for that little everyday way that I prayed. Praise you, God. I'm going to stop before I get on to the next thing. And I am going to worship you just for a moment. Don't let this moment in this place be your only moment of worship today. If it is by the end of the day, for me, I know I've missed out on a lot of worship this day. I've missed out on a lot of what God is doing in this day. Wake up. Pray for the little things. Pray for God to show up in big and little ways right here, right now, today. And at the end of the day, stop. And invite the Spirit to show me, God, how you showed up so that I can worship you for a few minutes before I conk off to bed. How many moments of worship do we miss? And then the passage goes on. So Rebecca runs home. We're not going to read all this. I invite you to go home and read this section of the chapter at home. There's, there's good stuff in here. There's a lot of things to notice in here. Rebecca runs home and she shows uh, Laban, uh, Laban, who's going to show up later in the Genesis story. She shows him the jewelry and the the bracelets, and she tells him what happened. And it's neat. The Bible says that after Laban had noticed the jewelry and the gold and heard the story, he, he went to see the servant. He was really excited to see the servant. And it's a little Easter egg, right? You know what an Easter egg is when you watch a movie? There's a little, there might be a little Easter egg, like a cameo of a certain actor or a little preview of what the next movie is going to hold. There might be these little Easter eggs. This is a little Easter egg in the Bible because when Laban shows up again, we're going to find out Oh, he's the guy who looks for the gold first. He has his priorities a little bit screwed up. Not in line with the priorities of God. And so, go ahead and read this at home and see how many Easter eggs you come up with as we go through Genesis. But then the servant gets invited to dinner and the servant says, wait a second, before we sit down to dinner, i got to tell you what happened. And the servant tells what happens. And one of the reasons this is the longest chapter in the Bible and it's absolutely, definitely the longest chapter in Genesis, is because now the servant tells what, and it tells us that the servant tells us exactly what happened, and he walks through everything again. What we just read. He walks through all of it again. And you're starting to read this, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, like I know all this. I just, I just read this, remember? Why do I have to read all of this again? But this is not just for redundancy. This is not just to be, this is not to be mundane that the Bible does this. This was a technique in ancient Hebrew literature. And they did this. This was a way that they built suspense in their literature. This is a way that they, so that you could walk through and say, oh yeah, I was there for that. I saw that happen. And now he's telling the story to somebody else. And what we see, what would have been understood in that culture is as the servant is telling this, this is basically one big marriage proposal. Everything he's saying is he tells the story. He's, this is the marriage proposal of Isaac through the servant to Rebecca, to her family. And, and it's really, the way he does it, if you compare what he says to what actually happened, there's some things he changes. 
He's, he's diplomatic in the way he says things. He did, like up till now, when, that, when it's happened, it's told us all about this covenant language that God is in covenant relationship with Abraham. That, that he has called him out to be his own special people. And you can see that thread through the passage so far. And then the servant tells everything. And, and all that covenant language is, God, is gone. It's just that God's faithful. And he showed up. And here's how he showed up. Which makes sense when you think about it. Because he's talking to Laban and his family. And, and so what he doesn't say to Laban and his family is, uh, listen, look at what God did. See, God, first of all, called my master out, not your side of the family, my master out to be his own special people, to be chosen. And he chose this side of the family, this wing of the family, and this is why Rebecca should go with me. Wouldn't that have offended that side of the family? Absolutely. And so the servant makes a wise choice on what to tell. He doesn't distract from God's faithfulness. He just makes sure he's not going to offend his hosts. And I don't have time to go here, but maybe we should do the same thing. Like there's a way to present the beauty of the gospel and beauty of what God has done without being offensive to people who aren't yet part of the family of God. Do we do that? Are we sensitive to that? Like, like let's leave the conversations about election and predestination. Let's leave that for down the road. They're important conversations to have. Let's leave them for down the road. Like let's just invite people to Jesus in a, in a way that doesn't offend them. It doesn't mean don't stand on what's true. It just means invite them to the beauty of the gospel without making it look like we're something special. Because the beauty of the gospel is not that you and I are something special apart from him. The beauty of the gospel is that he came for us when we were nothing. And that we are something special because we are now identified with Christ in death and resurrection. And the beauty of the gospel is that that's not just for you and me. That's for everybody, for anybody. So let's present that beauty without offending others. And so he tells the story. And then we, we get the response of the family. And I love it. And it pays off. Laban says this to him. Laban answers, this is from the Lord. Like the servant asks him. So, so listen, this is all what's happened. The Lord has indicated to me that Rebecca's the gal for Isaac. So you got to tell me, are you letting her come or not? Tell me, tell me your decision right now. Because if not, i gotta, I got to go back to God and find something else out. And Laban says, this is from the Lord. Like you've told the story, you've shown up. This is the testimony. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Man, do you know? What, do you see the thread of testimony in here? Uh, of faith in how God works in our lives. Abraham had it first. And in the very beginning of the chapter, he passes that on to the servant. And the servant moves on based on this story that Abraham tells of God's faithfulness to him. And then the servant passes it on to Rebecca. And now the servant passes it on to Laban. Later on, the servant's going to pass it on to Isaac. They're going to tell the story. And do you know you build your faith and the faith of other people by continuing to tell the story? Because they're able to bear witness. Like, we know this is not from you. There's no way this could have worked out unless God had shown up. Oh, man, it's so good to hear somebody besides me say that God showed up in my life. But I don't get to hear that unless I tell the story. I share stories of how God showed up in previous seasons of my life, and they're, they're normal to me now. They're kind of like, every whatever, I'm worried about what God's doing this moment. And then I share something that happened. People say, oh, my goodness. I say, oh, yeah. God showed up out. Uh, yeah. I didn't know I was going to do this. I'll share one. <laughs> when, I, when, it, when I was young, my family, like, we didn't, my dad was switching between jobs and stuff. It was my sister and I. We were a family of four. My dad was switching between jobs and things, and he was out of work for a while. He was laid off, and then he was traveling to Hershey 
We, we, we lived in Pittsburgh at the time. He was traveling all the way to Hershey to work and come back during the week, uh, come back during the weekend. And every Monday morning, he'd get up super early, drive to Hershey to do his job, come back from Hershey, Pennsylvania, all the way to Pittsburgh on Friday and come see us. And I was little. I didn't know what was going on. You know what was happening at that time? My, my parents didn't have a lot of money. I had no clue. <laughs> I, remember Christmas, uh, I remember Christmas. They just wrapped, We had a ton of gifts under the tree. And they didn't have hardly any money. Do you know how they did it? They went to a flea market. They bought pencils and erasers and all this random crayons and, and, and packs of stuff. All this stuff. And they wrapped them all individually. <laughs> I, I had the more, present, more Christmas presents than ever before. But they were all pencils and erasers. And I, I, I don't know. I was young enough. I thought it was awesome. But we were in this season in life, and, and I didn't know much of what was going on. I just knew that we didn't have a lot of food in our cupboards, but we never went without a meal. And uh, I, was a guy, I was a kid back then who, I must have been seven or eight, I loved grape jelly. Oh, man, did I love grape jelly. It was my favorite food. I had grape jelly on sandwiches, grape jelly on toast. I loved grape jelly. And, and so... We come to a day that I find out later in life, I didn't know it at the time, I found out later in life that we were down to our last meal. And my dad wasn't there at the time, it was just my mom, and she went without food so that my sister and I could eat. We didn't know we were down to our last meal, we were just down to the last bit of food. Mom was taking care of us. And then there's a knock at the door, and then somebody from our church shows up with like 12 bags of groceries and just drops them off. And I find out later why it was such a blessing to my family that we were literally on our last day of food and that he showed up. But you know what I remember from that day is not that our empty cupboards got filled. What I remember from that day is when we pulled out a gallon jar of grape jelly. <laughs> like they must have been shopping at Sam's. I didn't know grape jelly came in, that, in jars that big. It was huge. And that's my one visual that I remember from that day is that huge jar of grape jelly. And how long like... God didn't have to do that. Why would you waste money buying a jar of grape jelly that big on a family that is without food in their cupboards? I don't know why they did that. But God cared enough to give an oversized jar of grape jelly to a kid who loved grape jelly. Yeah, thanks. See, I've known that story for years. I haven't thought about that story for years. It's kind of everyday to me. Oh, but I tell it. <laughs> oh, but I tell it and somebody else gets to hear it. Oh, yeah, that's right. God cares. God acts. Share your story. It builds your faith. It builds others' faith. So the servant shares the story. And it builds the Laban's faith. And he says, we can't say one things one, or, one way or another. So yeah, Rebecca's going with you. And so they go to sleep that night, and then the servant gets up the next morning, and he says, send me on, your way, on my way. Like, it's time, let's go. Like, we know Rebecca's coming, let's go. And, and, and this is what happens. But her brother, this is Laban, and her mother replied, let the, let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. And he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her. Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. And again, it doesn't look like a big deal, but look at the immediate obedience. First of all, the servant. He's like, okay, this is the way God led. Let's go. 
I know what the next step is. Let's go. And for Rebecca, it becomes the same thing. This is the next step. Let's go. Ten days doesn't seem like a lot. In fact, it seems pretty reasonable. Here's the thing about the, the, you go back to the ancient language here. You know what it actually says? It actually says a period of time of ten. A period of time of ten is what the original language says. And that word that's a period of time, sometimes in the Bible it gets translated as day, sometimes as year. Sometimes it's longer, and, and people, the translators figure out from the context what it means. So the, the word here could actually be a day of 10, or it could be a year of 10, which would be 10 months. So we're not sure what, what actual period of time they're asking for here. It could be 10 days. That doesn't sound very long. It could be 10 months. That sounds a little longer. Neither one is out of the, out of the realm of reason, though. Think about this. Like, they just met this guy. He shows up with 10 camels and jewelry and a good story like, maybe we should settle on this a little bit more while, while Rebecca. Make sure he is who he says he is. Maybe send and get a response. Like, let's, just for your safety, Rebecca, let's hang on to this moment a little bit, and let's wait here. Um, let's, maybe, they, maybe they wanted to celebrate with the neighbors. Like, this is something they've been longing for since their daughter was born. They knew this day was coming, that she would get married. Here it is. She's promised to a man, and it's a man in covenant with a living God. Like, this is good stuff. Let's take some time to celebrate, receive gifts from the neighbors, have the party we always dreamed of. Maybe spend time with family. You're leaving a lot behind, Rebecca. You will never see this family again. You're about to go on a two-month dangerous journey. Like, just hang out a little longer. Plus, you've never met Isaac before. I mean, why be in such a rush to get to him? He could be ugly. He could be fat. He could snore. He could be mean. Like, like, I mean, think about this, though. Like, Rebecca's in this position. Like, any of us, none of us would start a relationship with someone that we didn't know all these things about. You go on dating, dating apps or whatever, like, what's the first thing you see? How somebody looks? What age they are? You get to find all the, all the facts about them? What hobbies they like? Rebecca doesn't know any of this. All she knows is this story. There's so many unknowns. There's so many reasons for her not to go and certainly not to rush it. And yet, when God reveals this is the next step, she goes. See, here's the thing. Back in those days, marriages were arranged. This is arranged mar marriage. This is your parents figure it out, and you get arranged. Because right now, we you get married. Why? Because you're in love. Because you feel in love. That's why we decide to get married, right? Back in those days, the love comes later. The feelings come later, I mean. The choice comes first. The choice happens first. And there's things about the choice that don't make sense, and there's things about the choice that create a lot of fear, and there's things about the choice that are all these unknowns, and they're risky. But ultimately, it comes to, down to that. You make the choice. And the benefits of love and sacrifice and romance, all of those things, those are for another day later on. There's a lot of unknowns, but Rebecca looks at it and says it's worth it. The crazy thing about this is that she gets some choice in the matter at all. Like the family calls her and says, do you, Rebecca, what do you think? Like she gets a choice. She's the promise. She's chosen already. She's promised already. The, the, the dowry and the, the, the goods are exchanged. Like this is a done deal. But they still give her a choice. Do you want to go? And she says, I will go. 
listen to me, I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but like this is us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay your debt to the living God. You were in rebellion, outright rejection of the God who made you, and you thought you could do it better. You're not so bad, I did the same thing. We're in a place where we're forever separated from the living God, and there is no way back. You say you've heard it before. Why are you repeating all this? Because we need to hear it again. Just like the servant needed to repeat again and again the story step by step. Listen, you need to hear the steps. Utter separation from the living God forever. That was us. And then Jesus Christ comes. And the death, the wrath of God, the punishment of our sin, the consequences that would be poured out on us is poured out on him. He says, I'll take it. It's not going to be easy. If there's any other way, Father, take this cup from me. I know what's ahead is horrific, but if this is the only way to get you and you and you and me back to him, I'll take it. I'll take the cup. And he does. You have already been bought and paid for. But the choice is in your hands. You still get a choice. Like I know there's risks involved. You hear other people talking about this Jesus guy. There's this some goof on stage who's speaking about things Jesus has done. And you don't know maybe every day how it relates to life after this. You just want to get out of here today. People talk about life and abundant life and you have no idea what they're talking about. Like Jesus, if I really go all in, if I really put both feet in, like are you going to deliver? You delivered for them, will you deliver for me? Let me, let me tell you something. I'll, I'll warn you, it gets worse than that. <laughs> After you say yes, it's not guaranteed comfort. Prosperity gospel, you hear that any place? You say yes to Jesus, you're, late, you're going to get rich and happy and fat and all that. It's a lie. That is just trash. Your life may very well get much, much harder. You might go into long, long, dark valleys. There are so many unknowns ahead. But he's with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, you are with me. David could say that because he first said, the Lord is my shepherd. You've got a choice. You've been bought. You've been paid for. But the choice is in your hands. If you haven't made that choice, like to, today, no matter what the risks are, no matter what all the unknowns are, no matter all the frustration ahead, no matter all the doubts and insecurities you might have, you are loved, you are bought, you are paid for, you are purchased, you are seen as valuable, so much so 
Just like that servant got sent two months away to a woman Isaac had never met. You are so precious to God. He stepped down off that throne to chase after you and invite you back to himself. And the cost for him was everything. But he saw you as worth it. Will you say yes to him today? Man, it's the best choice you could ever make. I will go, Jesus. Listen, and some of us have said that yes a long, long time ago. Or maybe a week ago, or maybe a few months ago. You're like, I'm in, I've already said that yes. You are about to enter, or maybe you already are in a season of your life where you need to say yes again. Not not to get right with God. You are already right with God. Your eternal future is guaranteed. You are a child of God. That is what you are. I'm not talking about eternal security. I'm not talking about you might go to hell. I'm just saying today when you wake up, there will be things that come at you that make you doubt the goodness of God. That make you forget he has blessed you in every way and would tempt you in some ways to go that easy route of the priorities of the world. Man, the promises of the world still look good some days. Maybe I should just organize my life so that I go after that. I mean, after all, I'm secure in heaven. Jesus bought and paid for my sins. I can go this way and I'm still secure. Yeah, but he has more for you. He has more. And when you say yes today to him again, It's not so that you see his faithfulness a year, 10 years, 25 years down the road when you die and go to heaven. It's so that you you say yesterday so that you see his faithfulness today in this hard choice that he actually comes through. And he's faithful. Mm. (laughs) I don't have time to tell you the story. I'll just say that I was in a week last week where God showed up again and again and again and again and again. I could tell you so many things that he said to me, like maybe in a loud, maybe in a voice, maybe, but like one of the things he said so clear to me, Jesus spoke to me and he said, I don't show up to make you comfortable. I show up to show you that I'm trustworthy. I don't show up to make you comfortable. I show up, I come to show you that I'm trustworthy. So, so you might have said that first yes to Jesus years ago and, and listen, today or, or tomorrow or next week when you face a difficult time, it's hard to say like, yes, Jesus, I am going to go your way. I'm all in. Those are the times though when you, are, when you say yes to that, to that hard day, whatever it takes, Lord, Work this for good, for the good of making me look like Jesus. Whatever it takes. When you say yes to that, can I tell you something? It's worth it. Every time, it's worth it. Because he shows up. And it's not to make you comfortable. That's for the other side of this life. It's to show you he's trustworthy right now, no matter what you're going through. This is the God who has blessed you and blessed me in every way. So let's wrap this thing up. We can't, we can't tell the whole marriage, like, 
It's like watching a Disney movie and not watching the last 10 minutes, right? Like if you watch like the whole struggle to get the girl and you don't see them actually get the girl, right? This isn't a Disney movie. Their lives aren't going to be simple, but let's watch them get the girl. Isaac went out in the field one evening and he looked up. And I love that. I don't think that's by accident because I read that and I think of Abraham who walked out one evening out of his tent and looked up at a starry sky full of God's promises, right? And he learned over years and decades to make plans according to those promises. Isaac this time went out in a field one evening to meditate and he looked up and he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. Feel that spark? It's the romance, right? She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is the man in the field coming to meet us? And the servant says, he is my master. He's the one I've been talking about this whole time. He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And this was, again, cultural brides in those days. Unmarried women went without a veil. Married women went without a veil. You know who went with a veil? Women who were about to be married. They went with a veil right before and during the wedding ceremony. And after they were married, they took the veil off. And so she's putting that veil up as a sign of saying, I'm ready. This is it. I'm all in. He, uh, then the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Oh, do you hear the music swell? Like it is so good. It's the perfect picture ending. Picture perfect ending. And it's not the ending. There's more chapters of Genesis. And Isaac and Rebecca are going to go through difficult days. But like for this moment, let's enjoy this moment. This is the culmination of all of it. Here's the romance. The choice has been made. They are finally together. The covenant's secure. And Isaac brings this woman who made this blind choice with all these risks. He brings her to himself. And he lives in love with her sacrificing for her, treating her well. Cue the music. So there's going to come a day for us. This is just a little snapshot, a little picture. There's going to come a day where the music swells up and everything that was risky before, we can see it's a guarantee now. And Jesus Christ comes riding back on a white horse. Or maybe you die first and go to meet him. Either way, the music swells and it's all worth it. It's all worth it. This is what, this is where we're at in the story, right before this. And this is what Jesus is doing in us. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. To make us look like Jesus Christ. Jesus is the husband for all of us that we will one day be united with. I know that sounds weird, guys. It's not weird. Just shove that thought aside. We are the bride of Christ, and that's a really good thing. And this is what Paul says, Christ so loved you and me and the whole church, his bride. He loved us. How much that he gave himself up for her. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Cue the music. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Man, I don't know what's happening in your life right now that's making you doubt that day, that's making you think it's going to be far off, that's making you look in the mirror at all the spots and blemishes that you have right now because of some screw-ups. Listen, Jesus Christ is preparing you right now, getting ready, you, getting you ready to be part of his bride, to be united with him, to experience the fullness of his love in that day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. You are so good, even when it doesn't look like it. We come to you now united as your people. We come to you, Jesus, as your bride. Every single one of us in here that have already said yes to you, Jesus, is Lord and Savior of our life. Life. Every one of us in here who's already recognized that there is no way. We are dead and there's nothing we can do. And the only way to life is through you. In your name, Jesus, right now we pray. By your finished work, we pray and we worship and we thank you for the work you've done on our behalf to unite us with yourself. And we know it doesn't always feel good. We know it doesn't always work out the way we think, but in this moment, right here, right now, we are so grateful to be your bride. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, I stand in the gap on behalf of anyone who is listening right now in this room or online who has not said that yes to you, Jesus. Who has not been willing to take the risk who has not understood fully what that means, that their life is no longer in their control, that you are the rightful Lord, that there is nothing good in them apart from you, Jesus, and that you are the only way for them to life. God, I stand in the gap right now, and I just ask that, Spirit, you would move in a wind upon them today that they might say yes, yes, that they might say that risky, uncertain, but worth it, yes to you, Jesus. God, in view of all this, we praise you. You have blessed us in every way, and we praise you, God the Father, that you call us your children. That is what we are. We praise you, Son, Jesus Christ, for calling us brother and friend. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for setting the seal on our hearts. It's a guarantee for that day where we will finally be reunited fully with you. We praise and worship you in light of all you've done. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. People of grace, would you stand with me and let's praise him.